We are recording with the one and only Miss Claire Lopez and Mr. Ron Moeller, who both have been on here before multiple times, but never together. So this is going to be good on Thursday, June 22nd, 2023 at 4.10 p.m. Eastern time. And, you know, to the crazy people that email me and, you know, try to convince me that the earth is flat. You're right. You're right. These are my CIA handlers. The jig is up. Me and Dr. Malone are field officers for these two. This is the deep state embodied. And, um, you know, I can't I can't live a life of lies anymore. I am CIA. This whole operation is CIA. This podcast is from Langley. It's all green screen. The jig's up. But um, so two episodes ago when Claire and I spoke uh, and I lied to everyone, so we were going to talk about Kosovo and we didn't. Uh, Ron reached out to me. And I don't know if it's still the case, but I think you said your son is stationed over there. Is that no, he was, was he was on temporary duty over there, but he's gotcha. back now, but he's slated to go back again. Okay, mm. so can can we maybe touch on that? Because as Claire said yesterday when I texted you, it, it's it's kind of the story was was in the news and then out very quickly. What is mm-hmm. Ron? Could you maybe give us an update or at least a just any sort of loose idea of what exactly is going on over there? Um, the uh, the northern part of Kosovo. Um, is um, heavily Serb inhabited, and uh, it's sort of like Sudetenland in in the in the 1930s. You know, it's 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 the wrong ethnic group, and there were some shenanigans with elections, and um, so the um, the Serbs didn't appreciate it, and they uh, they rioted. So uh, the Kosovo um, law enforcement security forces were a little overwhelmed, and K4 the Kosovo, whatever, the, the NATO organization, K4, had to come up from Camp Bonsteel to s- sort of separate the two warring parties, or violent parties, I guess. And there were some shots exchanged. Um, I don't know, there was like a couple dozen NATO peacekeepers that were injured, mostly Italians and uh, one other, I don't know who else, I can't remember. But yeah, it was... Um, it sort of, you know, just suddenly spiked, and the, um, you know, the U.S. ambassador got all got in the middle of it, and he he terminated Kosovo's participation in a in a major NATO exercise, um, a defender, which the Kosovo military, all three regiments, woo, uh, were participating in, and um, you know, which they were they're trying to get up to speed to validate, you know, ap- NATO application that sort of thing. And uh, so it, it made it made things a little touchy for U.S. military that was in in the country. Uh, a lot of them got evacuated right away because oh my gosh, this is this is terrible. The 82nd Airborne uh, Alert Battalion got a warning order. They may have to you know fly to Kosovo to you know do whatever 82nd Airborne guys do. And uh, how how's that? I mean that's that's as much as I remember. I mean I was personally more concerned because my son was one of the soldiers that was there and he was not one of the ones that got evacuated because he says he told everybody he said look the 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 unrest is way up here we're way down here i mean we'll have plenty of warning time and we have the routes mapped to albania and north macedonia or whatever that you know aberration of a country is called i know i'm going to get all sorts of hate mail now (laughs) you know and uh, so Anyways, they they had they had their E and E routes, you know, mapped out if they needed to skedaddle. But you know, it was, you know, it was it was more of a Kosovo internal problem, and it it still 
it's still uh, bubbling under the surface. The um, no, there's still a lot of discontent. I mean, the Serbs rattle their sabers every once in a blue moon on this, and so. Anyways, how how did I do, Claire? Did I did I about set yeah, off? Yeah, no, it? that that brings us up to date. Um, oh wow! I'll, I'll give you a little right. bit of the background here. The reason uh, that there is constant tension over there is because the Serbs have never come to terms with the separation of Kosovo, as they call it, uh, from Serbia proper. And this goes back many centuries. So mm -hmm. in the year 1389, uh, when the Turkish Ottoman Empire is pushing north into southeastern Europe, into the Balkans, uh, they fought a pitched battle at some place called the Field of Crows against the cream of Serbian knighthood. And the Serbs were slaughtered and the Turks took over. And then they ruled that part of, of the Balkans and, and many other parts uh, you know, of what came to be eventually Yugoslavia, um, obviously of, of Macedonia, of Greece, of uh, Bulgaria where I served, Romania, on up, finally only stopped at the gates of Vienna. You'll remember this, of course, um, you know, the famous battle of 1683. Uh, but at this time, it's 1389, and uh, the Serbs lost badly to, to the Turkish mm -hmm. jihadis. And, and so even to this day, centuries later, and after the breakup of, of Yugoslavia in the early 1990s, um, you know, into, into its, uh, you know, various parts uh, that included Serbia, and Slovenia and Croatia and Bosnia Herzegovina and Montenegro and and uh, Kosovo, they uh, they still look the Serbs still look to this part of the territory as their long lost I don't know cradle I guess maybe of um, Serbian nationhood uh, as well as the place that they mourn to this day of having lost to the jihadi Turks. Hmm. So is that place just going to be a powder keg till the end of time? Well, pretty much. Uh, no end in sight for the moment. No, but I mean, no. other parts separated, you know, with with less uh, drama. Slovenia, for example, but of course it's up in the you know the northern, western, closer to 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 Western European part. Uh, right. Croatia is, is doing fine, um, but but other places that you know, were, were more contested. And, and we saw repetitions of, of this division, um, certainly in World War II, which was vicious and horrible uh, before Tito took over in the aftermath of that. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the memories in these places, the Balkans, it goes back a long ways. Right. I mean, when I was in, in Sarajevo hunting Pifwicks, um, persons indicted for war crimes, Sorry, the, the DOD loves their acronyms. Um, That's one I've never heard were, before. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, see, you learn something new today. You can, you can, you can, you can check it's out. A good now. day. I'm in the, ending the show. Good night, everybody. I learned my they, lesson. They, uh, yeah, they, uh, as as we're as we're we're hanging out in Sarajevo, you know, we go to the sidewalk cafe because that's what you do in the in the fall in 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 Bosnia and Sarajevo. And but on the um, on the various sidewalks and on the streets, there were these. Um, <clears throat> rose-colored um, painting, if you will, or um, and we asked the uh, the waitress, hey, what are what are all these things? Because they were all around, 
And um, I think she goes, well, those are Sarajevo roses. I go, okay. And she goes, this is where the people were were killed by the Serb snipers. If you oh. recall, you know, a lot of Serb snipers were up in the uh, the bill, mm-hmm. and there was still a lot. This was this was in after nine eleven. We were still in still there hunting those piffwicks. Um, the uh, you know the Serbs had, in the nineties had crawled up there uh, into these tall buildings, and mm-hmm. you know there was it looked like a little bit like Stalingrad on on you know. Um, but anyway, so that's where, and the and the lady then she got a real serious faraway look, and this goes to Claire's point about the long memories. She says, "We will never forgive, and we will never forget." Mm. And you know, it's like so you can almost see the little kids, yeah. you know, on their their school field trips being taken out, and you know, this is where you know this is where the those evil, you know, ten foot ugly Serbs that eat children and uh, and handcuff Dutch peacekeepers to fence posts. Um, this is where they, they killed, you know, your, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, whatever. And uh, yeah. so it's, it's, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's in, it's intractable. Yeah. I mean, I guess obviously, I mean, I've, I've known nothing but, you know, opportunity and happiness living in the United States. I'm, I'm having on, I think next week, uh, one of my buddies that I did bar security with back in 2014, Prince, um, he's my age and he's from Kosovo. His dad was a journalist and I think he was covering, I guess what would become war crimes. And, uh, they broke both his arms and both his femurs and like mm-hmm. left him on the, and, uh, Prince remember, that's like one of his earliest memories, emigrated to the United States. I mean, American dream, barely spoke English when I met him. Now he's like a, like a physical therapist. I think he lives in Manhattan. He makes more money than I do. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. But like, the point is, is like, yeah, man, I mean, you know, I, I can't, I can't really like put any valid or credible input on it. Cause I've known nothing but everything I've ever seen about this is, is just what I told you. It's a story of a guy I did security with. And it's like, I, I guess I can't really touch on it, but I mean, is that, why did it, why did it fizzle down then so quickly? If, if everything we're talking about makes it sound so volatile and so toxic, why did it seemingly well, fizzle out? NATO, NATO brought in I-4 or originally I think it was S-4. And, um, you know, the NATO peacekeepers and was U.S. led, I think a U.S. Navy admiral led, led the initial thing. And, um, you know, nobody wanted back then, nobody wanted to go up against the United States. And, um, I mean, yeah, the Serbs had shot down an, an F-117 and an F-16 and, you know, yada, yada. But, um, yeah, so it was there. You know, there were French people. You know, French guys there. Uh, you know, it was funny. I I was I was at uh, at the uh, the S four headquarters or I four, whatever it's called. I can't remember. I'd have to go look at one of my coffee mugs to remember what it is. Um, and I said, I said, you know, so explain to me again, you know, Colonel, why um, why the Americans are here? Keep this is this is a European problem. And he looked at me in in that very Gaelic, you know, French you know, attitude. And I got to count all his nose hairs because he really turned it up at me. Uh, he says, these people are not Europeans. They are, they are beneath us. Oh. I'm like, Oh boy. Oh. So you know, it's, uh, you know, and of course I'm going like, well, I'm sure, I'm sure you tell that to the, you know, Bulgaria had joined NATO by this time. This was freaky, Claire, because, you know, as we enter the post or the air base there, you know, there's, there's Bulgarian troops, security guard and i'm like but my whole cold war mentality is like ah you know it's <laughs> these guys are the enemy and i but i told the french guy I says well i'm sure you really feel comfortable when you go 
in and out of the gate and the Bulgarians are there. And he goes, oh, the Bulgarians are okay. But these, these Balkan people, they're, they're not. I'm like, wow. I and so that's why we're still there. Bulgarians are Balkan people. So yeah, are well, the Romanians. <laughs> the, the French. All right. Well, yeah. And the, the, well, the French, you know, that, whatever, you know, I have no love for the French because as we're, we're about to capture a Pifwick, um, a French military convoy drove up to the Pifwick's house and, and escorted him to his next hiding place, which oh. really upset me. So that's, that's, mm. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't, yeah. yeah. What, but yeah. speaking of, speaking of, um, France, what has it been determined what that huge, did you guys see that, that enormous explosion? I think it was yesterday. Apparently a gas, um, a gas leak is what's being reported in any case. Natural gas leak. Bullshit. Now, no, no. Now, no I, now idea, I have absolutely nothing reported. to back up my skepticism, but I have absolutely darn, nothing to... Darn those Spetsnaz saboteurs, you know, I taking know. revenge for Nord Stream. Right. Yeah, but also to pivot um, to Taiwan, because I think the last time we spoke, Claire, I was bringing up an article about how I thought we had passed something that said the United States will support Taiwan. And then wasn't it yesterday or the day before uh, that Blinken uh, came in and was like, yeah, we're not, you know, nah. Yeah, the mixed messaging coming out of um, this the... administration is enough to keep anybody's head spinning. So uh, as we know, of course, our Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, was over in Beijing uh, just a few days ago, over the past uh, weekend, I think it was, and uh, met with uh, Xi Jinping. This was um, the the meeting that had been earlier postponed. We'll recall, um, you know, when that balloon, the Chinese balloon, was flying all over the United States, and it was at that very time that that Blinken was to have uh, gone to China. Well, that that trip was postponed. Now it was, uh, you know, this was the uh, the rescheduling of that trip. So, um, you know, he uh, he's over there for a few days. Um, you know, a lot of optics it could be could be mentioned here. He comes off of his airplane. Uh, there's no red carpet at the uh, airport. Yeah. There's no one to meet him except some lower level, I think, Ministry of Foreign Affairs official. Um, and then when you go to look at the videos of him meeting with Xi, and, and I've seen this before. In, in other meetings, um, you know, that the Chinese have had. So she is standing uh, in whatever hall this is, just standing stock still, impassive. And Blinken is entering, you know, screen left, scurrying up to him, leaning forward, putting out his hand um, to shake she's uh, hand. And she just stands there until Lincoln is absolutely right in front of him, and then they shake hands. Um, the 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 optics are really worth paying attention to. I think the Chinese mm -hmm. pay attention to this stuff. Um, but but then the mixed messaging, right? Yeah. So um, yes, on multiple occasions when uh, the handlers have allowed uh, our president um, to, um, I guess, go off track from the from the teleprompter, maybe. Um, he has said that, yes, if um, China, if the PRC attacks Taiwan, we, America, we will defend Taiwan. Uh, and it, it's not just one time, it's more than one time. So Secretary Blinken is over there and uh, he gives his uh, talk um, and um, says very clearly, we adhere to the one child China policy 
and um, we uh, we do not support the independence of Taiwan. <laughs> what? You know, so um, it, it, it's it's mixed messaging, and and immediately, of course, the Chinese media uh, coming out of the CCP, of course, um, lambastes us all and uh, threatens unspecified consequences if apologies are not immediately forthcoming for whatever it was before Blinken talked about Taiwan. Um, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm mixing it up. I'll tell you what that was about. That was further after the trip, and it was, it was, it was President Biden speaking again. This is how it was. And President Biden is in a... Um, I don't know if it was a news conference, but he's answering a questions from reporters. Huh? It was a political fundraiser in, in California. That's right, that's right, that's right. And he's answering questions shouted at him by, by reporters. And uh, in the uh, in the back and the forth, he uh, he uh, allows as how uh, Xi Jinping is a dictator. He used that word. He's a dictator. <laughs> and not a smart uh, one at well, that. Well, of course he is. But, but you know, right after your secretary of state was over there basically kowtowing to the guy... Um, that that was not, you know, the follow up that that the regime in Beijing probably expected. So that's where the, 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 the response came. You know, you'll have to pay the consequences if apologies mm -hmm. are not forthcoming to sweet. Hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, that that is a huge thing over there. Right. Body language and, and that whole. Oh, yeah. It's not a it's not a <clears throat> it's not a trivial. I had a, I had a forensic psychiatrist forever ago. And we were talking about just that, like how they're used to analyze very specifically, like body languages of like, you know, other world leaders and stuff. Um, now, and I don't like to give them any credit, um, but I always have to at least leave some sort of opening in my mind for shock. I might not know everything. Is there any credence or validity to the idea that this ambiguity might be intentional? Oh, it's very much intentional. Yes. Well, I mean, this as has been saying, United States policy for a very long time, is, but not the mixed messaging going out of two sides of, you know, the White House. Well, th well that was my question. It's not not the overall ambiguity, but I mean, what they're doing, as much as I think we all agree they're, they're a clown show, I don't want my own biases against the Biden administration to obscure my own ability to look at it objectively. Is this a, is this not a clown show? Is this Biden says I, I think what? I think Blinken articulated the official okay. U.S. policy, one China policy, uh, do not uh, support the independence of Taiwan. But then back home again, just as he has done in the past, mm -hmm. President Biden goes off script when the reporters are yelling at him and uh, she is a dictator. What it Kind of <laughs> blurting, he, he, he tends to sort of blurt what's actually on his mind it wasn't on the teleprompter. What what did he say like a year ago that we were sending troops to Poland or something? We were sending the 82nd or do you remember that right when Russia invaded Ukraine? Do you, uh, either of you recall that? Mm -hmm. he, he It's something like we're sending the 82nd to Poland or something. Well, they did send one brigade. Well, so, so well, the point I'm trying to get at is and then I remember like they came out and they're like, no, we're not. The president misspoke. So I'm just trying to look back for a precedent. Can we can we look back to a precedent and well you're saying we did send a brigade so it seems like the official narrative yeah, but, is what they say what they're actually doing is what biden says so i'm trying to use there to extrapolate to here so it well, seems I mean, that what biden as, says you know, is what we're it, doing as far as taiwan goes um 
you know, despite the one China policy and um, do not support Taiwanese independence, um, you know, we have we and our allies, I mean, NATO allies, other European allies um, have been sending defensive weaponry to Taiwan, beefing up their defenses, the idea to make them too prickly to swallow, mm -hmm. as it were. Um, and there are also U.S. military trainers over there in small numbers, a couple dozen or something, um, who are there, um, I guess, to, to train on that equipment that, that, that's being sent over. So, I mean, that that's what we're doing. Um, but I'll tell you who's being a whole lot more uh, upfront and honest about everything, and that's Japan. And if you look at the geography of East Asia, and you know how the Japanese island chain curves down and around from the, the, the Korean Peninsula on down, and its southernmost islands are very within nautical miles of Taiwan. Oh, the wow. southernmost islands of Japan are within nautical miles of Taiwan. I pull that up. And so uh, previously, Shinzo Abe, who whom I to this day I I believe he was assassinated. Um, with, at, at the at the uh, behest uh, at the at the uh, direction of of the uh, CCP regime, really, uh, because he was such a a staunch supporter. Well, he was good with Trump, <clears throat> yes, yes, but he was a staunch supporter of the right of these East Asian uh, countries, including Japan. Uh, Taiwan, South Korea, Philippines, on down, you know, count, uh, you know, Indonesia, Malaysia, too, if you want. Um, and, and of course, Japan, uh, you know, being a member of the Quad, uh, speaking of which Prime Minister Narendra Modi is in Washington, D.C. right now. Um, <laughs> but it's India, it's Japan, it's U.S. and Australia, the Quad. Well, um, so Shinzo Abe was was very strong on on that quad alliance and 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 its defense um not just of itself but very openly had stated on numerous occasions that an attack on taiwan would be considered a national security um crisis uh for japan itself and you can understand why when you look at the geography mm -hmm. well he was assassinated now the prime minister of, of Japan is Fumio Kishida, and he's from the same, um, what do they call it, the, uh, the Democratic the, Party, uh, the National Democratic Party, um, as Shinzo Abe was, uh, speaks much the same way. And again, look at the geography, we can see why. So the Japanese have been a lot more outspoken about the threat coming out of, out of China uh, even, you know, than the United States. But then, of course, um, you know, their prime minister is not, you know, quite as compromised, shall we say, as some <laughs> leadership that we could mention over here. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Well, how is Abe assassinated that that like homemade, like eight barrel a homemade gun? explosive in a pub at a public event outdoors? That was. Yeah. Yeah. That was. Yeah, well, I mean, so if if there is, you know, let's let's just go with that. Let's say that was at the behest of the CCP, and I, I keep coming back to this. It just feels more and more like we're in that sort of pre-fog of war that in a hundred years will be so easily clarified. You know, now we look back in any timeline, you go, well, Hitler came in thirty-three, and then we have September first, thirty-nine, and we all—it's kind of a neat, concise, and then August 9th, August sixth, nineteen forty-five, ninth, nineteen forty-five. 
But at the time, it was, you know, I think we would have to remember just the fog of what's happening then, right? And I I just have a, a, a dark feeling that we're looking back at like, well, 2019 is, you know, well, that that was when COVID was came from here. And then we have the, the Trump and then we have Ukraine. And it just feels like we are watching the blocks be set for what will eventually become known as, oh, yeah. And, you know, now looking back, we can see it was inevitable that in, you know, whatever, 2024, this would happen. <laughs> and I just got a bad feeling about it. And um, I don't know why I'm saying it to y'all thinking that you two are going to bring me back down. You two have normally informed me that it's much worse than even I think. But how how on a on a on a more, you know, I guess, realistic and grounded uh, plane. How could we realistically defend Taiwan if we're seeing an expenditure of munitions in Ukraine? That is really I think that's the same munitions. It's different stuff. Could you could you maybe expand on that? Sure. So what have we been sending to Ukraine? Artillery. Uh, by the way, we do not send them uh, shrink-wrapped pallets of $100 bills. No, that's Iran. We only do that for the mullahs and the Taliban, yeah. not yeah. Ukraine. Yeah. But what we <laughs> Different strokes, sending, different folks, yeah. Um, are, are um, you know, things like in the early uh, days of the war, remember, we were sending them javelin anti-tank weaponry missiles. Um, we sent them harpoon um, short of ship defensive missiles we eventually now more recently have sent them high mars um, we have uh, certainly provided a great deal of intelligence um, shared a lot of that with them to help them um, and drones um, and uh, patriot missiles have been exceptionally ex uh, uh, efficient um, maybe even surprisingly so that at least reportedly what i heard um, that a patriot missile um ukrainian uh, fired uh actually brought down um a russian cruise missile hypersonic cruise missile and if that that's accurate reporting that's, that's really wild. encouraging and amazing so these are defensive um you know kind of short range right short range missiles short of ship um patriot missiles um uh, the javelins to to the battle right there on the battlefield to the tanks that that sort of thing um but that's not uh what would be needed for taiwan um for for one thing the major the major um need i guess for taiwan is to ensure that its supply routes remain yeah. open because taiwan is dependent i mean i don't know what the percentage is but it's almost a hundred percent uh for food and fuel to be imported now, if the Taiwan Straits are closed to it, we, the Allies, you know, Count Japan, whomever else, the Quad, um, need to be able to ensure that um, as after the the visit of then Secretary of, uh, of uh, or, I mean, uh, the um, Speaker of the, uh, of the House, Nancy Pelosi went over there, remember? And uh, they put on this big belligerent display of blockading Taiwan that's what we have to make sure doesn't happen that at least the eastern side of the island the side you know open to the south china sea towards japan um remains open to resupply so that that's one thing but but the weapons too would be would be um probably you know somewhat different certainly we would need anti you know air uh defense defensive weaponry mm -hmm. which 
Ukraine has needed and hasn't had enough of. That's that's certainly true. But it's not because we're we're sending all that stuff there. It's it's different stuff um, that needs to go to to both places. Mm-hmm. But um, the other thing is we need to kind of crank up our own uh, home uh, manufacturing and industrial base, like yeah. yesterday. Yeah. Well, I was going to mention I was because I think it was uh, General Spaulding tweeted yesterday or the day before. The CEO of Raytheon came out and was like, "Well, we can't decouple from China because all of our subcontractors there." And Spalding was like, "Oh, so we just need to make them promise to keep making us munitions if we decide to go to war with them, <laughs> right?" I, 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 that that I know it's insane. Yeah, it's insane. Well, we we allowed this to happen over a period of decades. Yeah, um, where the model um, for economic, you know, growth and and and. Um, profiteering in the United States came to be not manufacturing, not actually people who know how to do stuff and how to mm-hmm. make stuff and how to repair stuff, uh, but rather uh, those who um, were, were on the service side or or the, um, you know, the, the uh, technological development side, let's say, uh, but not actual manufacturing plants where you put you know, wrenches to, yeah. uh, you know, right. uh, equipment and, 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 and put it all together. We, we let that go. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it'll take, it'll take profitable. decades to get back. I mean, yeah, you, well, you know, I think we need, and to, I don't, we don't have decades. No, no, we don't. It's going to have to speed up. I mean, well, I, I would like to think of us back in 1939 or so. The well, arsenal of democracy. Certainly, certainly by, you know, by, uh, by, by, um, you know, December 7th, of, of 1941 uh, from a standstill, practically. Yes, we had the industrial base to build cars and washing machines and things, but but we geared up to turning out hundreds of planes and ships and artillery per month from a st- standing yeah. start. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was... can be done. But, well... <clears throat> Are the aircraft and the ships and the tanks and even the artillery is so much more sophisticated these days? Yeah, that it's not like it's not like Westinghouse can say, "Okay, we're not going to make washing machines anymore." We're now making F twenty two radar absorbing material. It's like, yeah, that doesn't yeah. doesn't it quite doesn't, a, it, it doesn't it doesn't switch anymore. But, I mean, but it, maybe on a comical note, maybe it maybe it will. It's like we have all these Uber Eats drivers. Maybe it's like, hey, you guys are now going to be like drone operators. Like maybe that will be the thing. Is but well, and the and the other thing is 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 Claire alluded to it is is the, uh, you know, Taiwan is a maritime environment. It you know whereas Ukraine is more of a land land warfare issue. <clears throat> we don't have the shipyards to support. <clears throat> if we lose an Arleigh Burke class destroyer, you know, it's a ten year to replace it. Yeah. There's no way to accelerate it because of the workforce. There's not enough qualified shipbuilders. Yeah, it's, yeah they uh, all took gender studies in university. It is a uh, again. It, it, it's very uh, reminiscent of World War One. If you ever listen to um, uh, Dan Carlin's Blueprints for Armageddon, he talks about how they had these giant capital ships, which were these things from like the early 1900s, and they took forever to build to build, <laughs> but then they get destroyed in an evening. And so yeah. there was this hesitance to use them where they'd be like, please don't go use this. Like, well, what do we do in the meantime? And I was like, 
take something else. But if you take this, this took 30 years to build. It was like coronated by the queen and then it goes out and just gets destroyed in an evening. And I mean, it almost makes you wonder if, so I mean, what, 9-11 is 12 years after fall of the Soviet Union. So we moved from this, this space race, space-based, hypersonic, <laughs> stealth, blah, 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 to all of a sudden going in into Afghanistan and Iraq. It's this complete repositioning of what we need to do. It's it's IED detection. It's, it's weird insurgency and counterinsurgency. It almost makes me think that we would find a way if necessity no. demanded it. No. No. There, there's I mean have you have you looked at the distances Tommy have you actually looked at a map at a globe the tyranny of distance is is huge and I mean it's literally like um China China's right right there in their backyard and and you know the and I appreciate you know the Japan is rearming and and getting more active in in regional national uh, there's regional security issues but a lot of the rearmament is 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 years down the road, um, the same with the Philippines, Malaysia, you know, Vietnam, all these places. It's, you know, it. We're way behind the power curve. We we don't have, you know, years to do this. Mm-hmm. And so, if the U.S. Navy wants to go ensure the freedom of navigation from, you know, the Straits of Malacca, Singapore, up to Taiwan and 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 Japan to keep the the oil flowing and other natural resources as well as exports from Taiwan and Japan. Um, yeah, that might be a bridge too far because the U.S. Navy, I mean, what's their nearest support base? Uh, yeah, they got some in Japan, but, you know, all China has to do is say, um, you know, you might want to uh, think about uh, putting the, the U.S. in quarantine, um, you know, type thing that, uh, you know, otherwise we're going we're gonna to nuke Tokyo. Which, and no, then but... the nearest thing is Guam. And yeah. then what? Yeah. And Guam I, uh, is so far away. I remember um, a dear old friend of, of ours uh, who whom we unfortunately lost a few years ago. Uh, it was uh, Ace Lyons, James Ace Lyons, who retired uh, as a four-star admiral, commander mm-hmm. of the Pacific Fleet. And I was lucky enough to get to know him very, very well in maybe the last uh, 10 years or so of his life. And... Uh, I, I, you know, I'll never forget the guy, but he used to talk about under his command as Sinkpack, uh, that he alone in, in, in the Pacific fleet had something like 360 vessels, surface vessels. And that didn't count, you know, the seventh fleet, the med, the sixth fleet, none, none of the rest of the fleets. This is just the Pacific fleet, 360 vessels. And today, the entire United States Navy has fewer than 300 surface vessels, mm-hmm. 290-something or other, I think <clears throat> it is now. And China already has more than 360 surface vessels, destroyers, warships, battleships, you know, et cetera, including, you know, uh, what is it now, two or three uh, new aircraft carriers? Two with the uh, third one coming online. Coming up uh, soon, yeah. <clears throat> um, and I, I just know, you know, Ace is rolling over in his grave. Oh yeah, no, I, and, and you know, and and as as important as warships are, 
you know, the U.S. Navy depends a lot on, on replenishment ships to replenish mm-hmm. the expended ordnance and, and refuel these, these, these uh, fighting ships. And there are so few of them. And, you know, it, it's, it's a nightmare scenario for any, any naval planner at Pacific Fleet or, or Indo-Pacific Command or whatever they're calling it this week in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of been a lot of saber rattling. There's been a lot of joint exercises with the Japanese and the, you know, and the French and all these other, you know, assorted people. And, and I'm reminded of, uh, you know, in, in the opening days of the Pacific War in World War II, the uh, uh, ABCD fleet in, that was lost off the coast of Java Island, you know, in the old Dutch East Indies, now Indonesia, commanded by a Dutch admiral. And they had language problems, they had coordination problems, they communication issues, tactical issues, and the Japanese just wiped the floor with them. And, uh, and, you know, and again, look at the map, you know, China, like, you know, like, oh, hey, let's, let's go, let's go, let's go to our home port for, for Friday night, you know, fun. And, uh, you know, our replacement will come out and it's just a, you know, couple hours steaming time. I'm exaggerating a tad, but, you know, the U.S. is going like, all right, it's, it's two days steaming at full speed, uh, to get to Guam, to get to friendly U.S. territory. And, uh, yeah, it's. The tyranny of distance is, is will be uh, our our downfall in this because as we don't we don't have the vessels to support a counter blockade uh, strategy or, or anything like that we'll have to you know accede to it and that will be and then Taiwan will slowly be strangled and capitulate. Well, well then you have to. I mean, it, it, I don't I don't think it's absurd to start to have to really look at the hundred thousand foot view. And really, kind of detach yourself and go: Is this a a natural reordering to where mm. you cannot? I mean, we look at it; it's forever, right? American <clears throat> Empire, nineteen forty-five till now. I mean, human history is ten thousand years. It's 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 a blink of an eye, and we are we do have a uh, momentum from World War II. And is this a natural reordering of like, yeah, there are limitations to power projection and and running your own empire. We are more than all right. With defending the United States, everything we're talking about is is distance and other countries. At a certain yeah. point, is it? And I understand you can't be isolationist. I know the whole Reagan speech about it's rather over here, but they have George Washington, who's like fuck them. I I get all of that, but I mean, but <laughs> I don't there, think George said it quite that way. I think but, that's yeah. those are his exact words. Is he he said he said fuck them <laughs> like this is my street. Those were his exact words. But no, Claire. It, let's 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 take a step over and and look at this from the perspective of the Chinese. Um, well, sure. Government, okay. Xi Jinping uh, heads a country of one point whatever it is, two or something billion. I, I know they said four, but it's probably more closer to two billion people. Um, he is in the top point zero 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 one percent. Um, you know, of uh, IQ of, of Chinese people, right? He's no dummy, in other words. And neither are the people around him in the Chinese, um, you know, central committee and so forth. Um, he's looking right now at what happened when Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine. What happened? Everybody thought, number one, the Ukrainians are going to fold inside of two weeks. Number two, uh, NATO will come apart at the seams, and, and especially Germany, 
you know, with Olaf Scholz as as their chancellor. Um, and uh, we will divide NATO. We will we the Russians are speaking here. The, divide NATO, split it up, uh, conquer Ukraine, and you know we'll be home for for borscht and vodka uh, in in about two weeks. Yeah, but that's not what happened, did it? Mm. Instead, what happened? The Ukrainians are fighting for their nationhood, for their very identity, their their independence, their freedom. They're motivated beyond all you know beyond anything the Russians apparently anticipated. But beyond that, they've spent the last, uh, if you count from, from 2014 till 2022, okay, uh, you're talking about eight years of fighting. They were at, during those years, they were already fighting a Russian invasion of the Donbass by, you know, infiltration and what they call the little green men and so forth. So they were already on a war footing. They were already learning, adapting, um, getting training and, and uh, new equipment. And they pulled together in an amazing way. And of course, they've got an amazing wartime leader that nobody would ever have expected to rise to the stature that he has, perhaps the way some people maybe underestimated another actor of his time out of Hollywood. Remember Bedtime with Bozo or Bongo or whatever that was? Anyway, Ronald Reagan, uh, right, made yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. B movies, right? Never expected that he would be the one to lead the West and, and our country to bring sure. down the Soviet Union, but he did. Well, there's there's Volodymyr Zelensky, right? And then to NATO, pulled together, including eventually Germany and Olaf Scholz. Now, I don't know, maybe he was kicking and screaming, but 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 pulled together and led by the United States. Um, have really, uh, you know, enabled Ukraine to 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 keep fighting and and to liberate now over half of the territory so far that the Russians ever captured in the beginning. Sure. Okay. She is she is watching all this. Putin and Russia are pariahs for as long as Putin lives, <clears throat> maybe longer. The economy is is wrecked. The econ uh, the the military is destroyed. Russian demographics are in a death spiral. Uh, I could go on. She is looking at all this. And after, you know, the, um, the takeover of China by Mao Zedong back in 1949, uh, China was on the receiving end. They were little brother. They were the ones uh, bringing in, um, you know, experts and, and, and technology and weaponry and everything from Russia, from Stalin, until he died in 53. Yeah. But but they didn't have it. They were poor. They were underdeveloped. They had no technolo technological base, right? But now fast forward to where we are now in 2023. China is elder brother. Russia is younger brother. And she is looking at what happened when 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 Putin invaded Ukraine. And and she knows that China is a an export economy. It's not a domestic consumption economy. Uh, maybe they want to be, but they're not. And their debt situation never even they're 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 like two hundred and I don't know, thirty-seven percent of GDP in debt, their debt ratio, right? Um and he knows that he must depend on exports to where? 
to Europe and to America, other places too, but, but Europe and America to, 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 to survive. And he knows perfectly well <clears throat> that if he launches a kinetic attack against Taiwan, that he very well stands a good chance of coming under the same kind of severe sanctions that Russia has, mm. which slowly are grinding away at the Russian economy. Take a while, but, but grinding away. He can't afford to lose his markets in the U.S. and Europe, and he knows that. And he also doesn't want to have a Russian albatross hanging around his neck as a declining empire, which is what Russia is. It's a declining empire. Um, you know, slowly commit suicide. So put all of that into yeah. the calculations. No, and I think that's... I'm, some... I'm afraid, Tommy, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to 180% disagree with Claire's analysis. Go for and, it. Uh, you know, so I mean, I just, I'm, I'm not a supporter of Ukraine. I, I think this, the wartime leader rising up, I'm sure if he had a stepladder, he would almost be as tall as Ronald Reagan. Um, he is, he is a pretty short guy. I'm sorry, Claire. I just, I just, I, I just, I'm not a, a big fan of this whole thing. Uh, I, and uh, I, and I'm not proposing. And if I was a Chinese military strategist, I wouldn't say we don't need to kinetic strike Taiwan because I don't want to spend the resources to rebuild it. We can just do a blockade, mm -hmm. and that'll mm -hmm. be and that'll be fine. And and we just do it that way, and we don't threaten Japan, we don't threaten the Philippines, and things like that. And we just do a blockade, and people they will avoid a conflict because they can't sustain a conflict to break the blockade. So he wins that way. It but, could be, but that's what we have to foresee and, and forestall. That, that's well, because we have such, we have such hundred percent, you know, strategic thinking in, in the white house and at the pen. I'm, yeah, you got my sarcasm. Good. Uh, <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's, it's, it's terrible. We got Jake Sullivan there who, can't figure out what color socks to wear, but um, yeah, it, I mean, it's 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 a tragedy. No, it, it it is, and it's. I mean, I I I see both arguments. On one side, you have if you are China, you'd have to look at it and go, well, the most recent precedent of an invasion of just last year has been followed up with this. We can only assume that that's also going to happen. Right. And then on the other hand, you go, well, now we know what not to do. So well, it's... I mean, but either way, Xi's major China goal is to reunify on Taiwan. It, it's yeah. it's gonna it's gonna face massive sanctions. Well, and it can't. I'm sorry, san sanctions aren't aren't worth their weight. I mean, sanctions oh, are. Oh, they work. They no, they I don't. Mean, look what's happening no, in Russia. They, no, wait. I don't know who, what where your reporting is, but sanctions sanctions are a feel good. I don't want to actually confront the po problem policy. And I mean, there are so many workarounds and go arounds that, that the Russians have done. I mean, you haven't even addressed the BRICS and the reordering of the world economy yet. That uh, it's so I I think sanctions are absolutely worthless because um, even even the Europeans are sneaking around the sanctions. So, but I you know Xi has a he, he's reun he's brought Hong Kong back into the fold, Macau, and last before he he ends his time on Earth. And I'm sure he thinks he's got many, many more years, but there's a window of opportunity with the Biden-Harris junta in the White House is, is you know, it's not going to last forever. And so he, he needs to bring Taiwan back into the into the fold. Well, so he, he will be. He certainly wants to. 
Yeah. Well, I and I think I think he will he will make a calculated gamble that you know they can afford a little bit of economic pain. They are already suffering some, and bring Taiwan back in. And in the end, people will say, well, there's no destruction of Taiwan. They still got the chip factories. Da 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 da. And I guess you know that's we'll just recognize a fait accompli. Mm, I, I don't think so. Well, I mean, China's the U.S. is in a very U- bad situation. I mean, demographically, they're in even, I don't know, worse, um, a, a worse situation than Russia. Their right. population by the end of this century is projected to be around a half billion, meaning uh, equivalent or so roughly to what the United States of America's population will be. And that's because of their one-child policy and the murder of right. all the girl babies for so long. Right. Well, at least I, mean, I can all get everybody can it's get a bigger apartment population. in Shanghai now. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. I, I, I hear that. I, I read Chet, Chet Nagel's analysis on demographics and 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 debt burden and things like that. It's, you know, but I, I, I think there's, you know, beyond all those hard cold facts, which are, you know, incontrovertible, is that there's that psychological drive to reunify China and to bring it into the fold. And because he knows the U.S. Navy's weak and the, the surrounding, you know, little dragon countries of South Korea, Japan, Philippines, etc., can't sustain any sort of you know, block, break the blockade, he, he, can, he can win without um, that. Plus, there's the fifth column inside Taiwan. We haven't even addressed that. Yeah, you know, there's, there's two parties that favor yeah. reunification. Right. Well, there's, there's that, but there's the other two parties that favor reunification with China. There's there's existing trade between Taiwan and, and mainland China, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of the the Taiwanese military, you know, they they serve for a, a year and then they, you know, they they pack up and go back to wherever. But there doesn't seem to be that motivation that you pointed out that Ukraine, you know, because you know they've been fighting since fourteen, that there doesn't seem to be a lot of motivation from the Taiwanese, you know, to really up the ante there's there's a lot of mixed messaging coming out of taiwan as well so it's you know it's mm. it's well i mean well we'll, let's, we'll, let's, see. well, we'll uh, see well i i i hope we don't see <laughs> you know, the um i just I, I i just fear that we are we are seeing the the reordering of the world order the old the old 45 you know Bretton woods you know u.s empire is 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 collapsing we we don't have any strategic thinking in Washington that that can look beyond and, and to try to mitigate and reverse some of these bad trends that have you know didn't just happen under Biden's watch or Trump's watch or even Obama's watch they they've been continuing I th- I think they really began in the aftermath of Desert Storm hmm. um, you know l- little indicators and and the chickens are coming home to roost I mean as you pointed out Admiral Lyons. You know, said, look at all the, I, I got this many vessels and now, you know, we can't even, you know, cobble together that many, even if we threw in the Coast Guard cutters that we just, we had just had a Coast Guard cutter steam through the Taiwan Straits, mm-hmm. you know, and like, I mean, we're, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here and, um, you know, and putting our faith in technology and stuff like that, you know, quantity is a quality all of its own. Hmm. It's. I mean, I think more and more I kind of look at it as I think empire is unnatural. Like, so let's take just so like obviously, I mean, I have no experience in any of this shit. I can only deal. I can only use my own experiences in my own life. So like normally during a week, I'll do 
I don't know, seven to eight podcasts. And then every once in a while, there are more unnatural weeks. I came back. I had Dr. Malone on Sunday. had a big episode. And this will happen you know, once in a blue moon or I get a huge episode. It's kind of an, uh, an adrenaline kick. And I'll, and I'll ratchet it up for a week. And I did three episodes on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and today. So it's third, so roughly double, right? Well, in the grand scheme of the podcast, the podcast has been going since December 2019. This is one week out of roughly 42 months. If I look at this one thing, and if I only look at this one thing, I would now look at the coming days, and I would, in a microcosm, I would say the podcast is collapsing. Tommy's only doing one. One episode a day, two days, two episodes, right? <laughs> but if you looked at the whole thing, you'd say, actually, this week was an aberration. The, the, the baseline is, you know, seven to eight a week, not 13. Well, then let's, let's look at a 10,000-year human civilization, and then let's look at 45 till now. Which one's more realistic? Is it one, is it one country, 300 million people, roughly 120th of the world's population dominating the globe? Is that natural or do we have to look out and go no this very thing that we're calling collapsing is actually returning to baseline that that's just that's all i can look at is like my life experiences like i obviously have never served have never been in intelligence capacity i can only try to project my microcosm onto the world does that make any sense or no well it does it does <laughs> but um you know when when people talk about a unipolar, a bipolar, a multipolar world. Um, when we think about it, right? I mean, even right now, the condition we're in, which is, which is, I mean, Donald Trump says a declining country, sure, off in his in his talks, right? But when you when you put the numbers up up on the spreadsheet, there is no other single country in the entire world that matches the United States economically militarily, uh, in lots of other ways. So there's no such thing as a multipolar world taking place. There is the United States, used to be bipolar before the, uh, the Soviet Union collapsed. Well, they're no longer polar anything, except, you know, gas station <laughs> with nukes is what they call them. But neither is it multipolar because none of the other, let's say, rising um, powers in, in, in the world. Talk about in India. We, we, we mentioned Narendra Modi here in, in D.C. this week. <clears throat> the largest population um, now surpassing China's in the world, the largest democracy in the world. Um, but does it match the United States in any measurement at all? I mean, except population? No. Um, but a very valued partner all the same. Uh, people mention Brazil, um, you know, that's just gone communist again, mm -hmm. again I guess. Um, it, it, there's no other country on the face of the earth that, that matches the United States. So it's not, we're not looking at a multipolar world taking place. We're looking at a unipolar world with a bunch of ankle biters, you know, snipping at our heels. Yeah, it's, I mean, <clears throat> but even now... You just have to put yourself in in my shoes, and it's I'm having on two people who worked in you know relatively similar life capacities, all things considered, and there seems to be a bifurcation, both 
thinking that A is going to happen or B is going to happen. And to me, that, that must represent a microcosm of, of everything, of everything intelligence, right? So, like, if I have two doctors on and they're, they're normally, you know, they'll agree on, on topic A <clears throat> or topic B. And it's that's that. And then me, the, you know, the, the Neanderthal in my bedroom, I go, well, here are the two MDs. <laughs> and I have to conclude that right there or physicists or whatever. But then something more nuanced like intelligence and where there isn't in, you know, necessarily an objective one plus one is two. It's more so a, a foggy probability game. And even just on something happening right now, I mean, as Ron said, um, you have incon- incontrovertible facts, but you both have different outlooks on Ukraine. I then have to look at that and go, well, shit, then there isn't what then how can I know what an objective answer is? And is it really all just foggy? And that's just so th- for me, this is this is a, a genuinely unique episode because I don't think I've, I've had something like this before. Where... Well, you know, it's something like uh, I think it was Yogi Bear, or at least it's attributed to him. Uh, <laughs> forecasting is really difficult. Especially when it's about the future. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, yeah. No, it's, 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 of course it is. And, um, yeah, but to me, to me, no, this is, this is genuinely a fascinating episode because it's a microcosm. So then, like, what is happening at, at, at you know, at large? And then if it's happening here, then what is happening in China or Ukraine? They all have nuanced outlooks on, you know, you probably have, you know, someone in China going, yeah, I'll take Taiwan tomorrow. And then you have someone else going, that's that's the dumbest thing ever. So, no, this is this is genuinely a, a, an interesting episode for me because I guess I'm kind of left not knowing what the hell to believe. So, yeah. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I mean, I think, Stay... man, more no, than it. Yeah, no, I was going to say more than anything. It always does bring me back to All Quiet on the Western <laughs> Front when the 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 main character Paul what is it the gardener bomb goes home when he's on leave or something and he goes and he visits one of the cities and there are these older guys talking about how we need to take this city and we need to take that village and no 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 we need a gentlemanly war would end with us taking this well I would like to see this for her majesty's and they're going on and on and this guy's standing there and he's just thinking about his friends getting vaporized by artillery shells and he's like, it's an, it's just old men fighting and young men dying. And I, man, you got to feel for it. You know, I'm, I'm 32 and how many, you know, excuse my French, poor fucks are just going to walk to the front line somewhere in Ukraine and just get vaporized. Well, I, I can give you the address of the local recruiting station up there in Maine where you're at. Uh, absolutely fucking not. Um, but that's my well, point. That's my point is like. You know, it's not a new take. Oh, war is bad. Yeah, I get it. It's just when, when you kind of subtract all of, all of the headlines and political this and that, and you look at the guys actually walking forward, it's like they're just young dudes, and it's heartbreaking. And there's really no takeaway from that, but it's just yeah. that's been one thing I'm looking at more. It's like you see a video yeah. of some dude surrendering, and people on Twitter are like, you should fight to the end. And someone else is like, Slava Ukrainian. They're like, for the motherland. And I'm like... Dude, that guy is just, he just wants to go home. And, like, yeah. that's, like, the only real takeaway I get from all of this. Um, not to end it. Met, met a lot of young men in Afghanistan and Iraq and, and went to quite a quite a few of their memorial and, and f- funerals. And um, 
yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's it's a tragedy, and it's you know, we uh, it's it's a it's an immutable fact that yeah. you know young men go fight old men's wars. I think it was Dale that said one of the Afghanis he met. He didn't know what nine eleven was, and Dale was like, "Well, it was the terrorist attacks in uh, in in New York," and the guy didn't know what New York was. What's in New York? Yeah. Why oh, no? We ran into the same thing because we all, we all, the first, our first tour, we all wore FDNY or NYPD yeah. ball caps, and everybody's looking at us like, "What is that?" And we're, and the Afghans are like, "Huh?" And um, God, difficult to conceptualize for them. I mean, welcome to the fifth century. Yeah. Well, not to end on a fucking depressing note. God. Okay. <laughs> Oh, and tell us a good joke. Tell a, the yeah. jo- a good joke. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't so know. So two podcasters no, you know, you walking to a bar. I, you know how I would end this? Yeah. There are some things worth fighting for. Hmm. And I think the Ukrainians understand this. I know they do. And I hope the Taiwanese do. Um, but among those things is is your, your freedom, individual hmm. liberty, the right to be your own people independent within secure national sovereign borders as the Treaty of Westphalia, 1648, um, and and to be assured that when would-be emperors and warlords try to rampage across international borders, globalists, that there will be those who will stand up and say no. There will be those who will stand up and say no further that's it no more and that's that's what i think we take away from this remember the 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 troops the american troops that landed in normandy right they were like 18 19 year old kids and they got off those landing craft and went straight into machine gun fire yeah and as ronald reagan you know memorialized them he called them the boys of um what was it the boys of laok uh, who Point scaled the cliffs? The Rangers. The Rangers who scaled the cliffs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they knew what they were fighting for, and and I think that's what we take away from this. If we know who we are, we know what we stand for, and we know what we will fight for, even die for, then then we are a people, and we will remain a people. Well, I'm I'm going to say having having been in combat multiple times, Claire. Um, and that's a that's a wonderful sentiment on the parade grounds and things like that, but when you're actually in combat, I'm I'm fighting for my buddy next to me, and yeah. he's fighting for me. So, I mean, that it's it becomes a much more uh, practical um, equation for for those of us. I mean, I, I remember uh, Sergeant Monty uh, crawling under fire to to save one of the men in his platoon, and. Uh, he he was able to rescue him, but he died in the attempt, or in the in the in the, uh, in the yeah. Anyway, he won the Medal of Honor for that. But you know, he he wasn't fighting for the flag or you know to take revenge on the Taliban or anything like that. He was fighting for one of his troops to go rescue that young man. Yeah, and yeah. But, so, but when I, it's I, your own land that's been invaded, you have a different motivation than when you're well, sent to a far-off place to fight on somebody else's battlefield. It's a very different thing. And I, I, think I guess that's... we could spend an hour talking about Ukrainian-Russian history and you know about the Slavic civil wars 
And uh, but, but I don't think Tommy wants to get. Are. They're, they're, they're fighting for their very existence as a people, as a nation, to be distinct well, from the Russian Empire yes. and allowed to look westward, not eastward. That's what they want. And they know it. Well, That's what they're fighting for. Well, I again, I'm going to have to. Yeah, I hear what you're saying and I understand that sentiment. But, um, you know, the. What bothers me about the whole Ukrainian thing, Claire, is is that that the U.S. and NATO and and other uh, interested countries and, and uh, uh, parties um, don't seem to be wanting to have any sort of peace. You know, usually when there's a major conflict like this, the U.S. is one of the first ones to you know try to establish a ceasefire and let's negotiate, let's talk. Instead, we've been pouring more and more gasoline onto the fire, and you know we're we're you know like. And now we're threatened with with NATO membership of Ukraine, and we have the the, the Baltic republics, Estonia, Lath, Lithuania, and Latvia, um, you know, agitating for you know Article Five type of uh, actions. And you know, I'm sorry, Claire, I, my son and my daughter and my son-in-law are not going to Ukraine or to Estonia to fight for people who have historically, just like the Balkans, have had major issues with one another. I mean, Russia is the large player in that part of the world. And that's, I, I can't help that. Mm -hmm. But if, if we, if Blinken or somebody, you know, had gone over and like say, Hey, let's, let's do some shuttle diplomacy or something like that. Maybe then I could see, see this. But when we're sending weapons to Ukraine and the Ukraine and Zelensky's going, you know, we're going to, we're going to strike deep into Russia. Well, you've just expanded the war from fighting for your, your home territory for your your soil uh to now you're 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 motivating the russians to do the same thing now that and it's going to become an intractable conflict and i'm not going to i'm not going to fight to the last american soldier in ukraine especially when they're well, my kids right but i mean what right do we or any other country have to tell the ukrainians they need to sit down at a peace table and negotiate their own territory that's been overrun by an invader. We don't have that right. No. We have the moral obligation to stand with them against invasion because we know from Putin's speeches, which are all in English translated online. Right, I've, I've heard them. That he will go for the Baltics. He will go for Poland next if we do not hold the line, or at least we help the Ukrainians to hold the line there. He will move on. I mean, it was never just about the Sudetenland, was it? No, but also NATO wasn't supposed to expand further east either, and now Russia feels threatened. I mean, we we failed to take they into don't account. They feel threatened. They know perfectly well that NATO would never attack them. Right. They but... know that perfectly well. It's not what it's about. If you listen to Putin, what he actually says is he wants to reestablish the Russian Empire, the USSR, the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. He wants to re. Uh, incorporate every Slavic person into a Russian empire by force if they won't come willingly. That's what he says, and I believe well, him. Well, I, 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 you know, I believe him too. But I think, again, I just find it odd that instead of um, us working for peace, we're working for war. Our peace country comes when the aggressor is defeated. That's when well, peace comes, not before. We're never going to Ukraine is never going to defeat Russia on the battlefield. I mean, that's they're doing that's, it, aren't they? They've already no, liberated not. half of the Donbas 
and really, now really, going is, to, is to that the, is that way the is that where they is that where they took a, a a major timeout saying we're going to take a week off from the war because and everything you know and the other thing claire is you know i'm amazed that this is a very violent a, reportedly a very violent conflict that um you know like tanks and airplanes and missiles and hypersonic this and blah 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 all getting destroyed but the videos we get or the the news reporting is so um, controlled and structured that um, it, it's it's like we're watching set pieces um, out of a some sort of a bad Hollywood script. I mean, mm. we're seeing troops that troops that are are shooting, but you look, you know, for from a from a combat veteran's point of view, they they don't seem to be really know what they're doing. I mean, yeah, I I got there's there's some video out there of really bad stuff, but I mean, for the most part, we're looking at like. We, your uniform looks awfully clean, and and how come we don't have you know BBC or or Deutsche Welle or you know pick pick a pick a Western news organization that can go into Ukraine and actually do battlefield reporting? It's all well, so controlled. There's tons of battlefield reporting out there, all over the internet. But not tons of it. <laughs> Yeah, like you mean like the videos we first saw when Russia first invaded, and somebody pointed out that's that's taken from a video game. I, I, there's so there's so much. Uh, I don't know. It's we're just going to have to well, agree to disagree. Map. I mean, the the thing to do is to look at the map and realize how much of the Donbass already has been liberated, and now the counteroffensive. Can is we confirm? But we south. can confirm that, or oh, is yeah, that just absolutely. what the Ukrainians are telling us? No, no, no. Satellite photography and other things. It's all over the Internet. Uh, you just have to look. It's, all right. it's real. Well, I'll I'm... tell you a good site to follow. It's the Institute for the Study of War. They're very good at day-to-day at -day reporting with no, I maps follow them. sourcing and videos. And the other one that's very good, um, maybe not every single day, but a few times a week anyway, is the Hudson Institute from Washington, D.C. They're very good. All right. Well, I, I'm always a little skeptical of open source reporting because it's so easily manipulated. But uh, anyways, you know, it's it's been a pleasure to have a, a civil debate with you. Good to meet you, too. Good to meet you, Claire. Um, what was I going to say? <laughs> I had a brain fart. Um, yeah, no, I can. This is this isn't even something I can really argue about. This would be so much easier if this was a podcast about podcasting. I could insert my argument, but I'm I'm kind of watching you guys throw a ball over my head. So no, but I mean, you know, they, it nonetheless, I'm not getting it. it. You know, it's a fascinating thing to see two and you know both y'all are obviously from the same line of work, and it's uh, you know, I think a, a a frictional debate is probably honestly where you come closest to the truth. It's because you're whittling it down. So, um, but guys, thank you for watching. In the description is the links to both. Ron's and Claire's Twitters and um yeah thank you for watching Mr. Ron Muller Miss Claire Lopez till next time thank you so much thank you for watching everybody stay safe out there recording stopped. God bless and peace